right now close your eyes and think of a happy place you are about to experience the powershell podcast the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your host, Andrew Plaw. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the PowerShell podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Plaw. And this week on the pre-show, this is the first episode of the new year. Happy to have you all with us. And I have a couple cool blogs to share for our pre-show. So, First, I have a blog from Practical365 on using GitHub Copilot to upgrade PowerShell scripts to the Microsoft Graph PowerShell SDK. Cool blog if that's something uh, that you're in the space of. Kind of talks about Copilot's improvements over time, how to make the most of it, and how it works with the Microsoft Graph PowerShell SDK. We also have a fantastic blog from practicalsecurityanalytics.com on credential harvesting with PowerShell Inspector Insight, which is a cool blog to kind of go through and harvest some credentials and see some of those tools and how they work. Especially if you're not in the security space, it can be pretty enlightening to go through that in your home lab or whatever safe setup you have. Now today, we have a very special guest. We are thrilled to have Mike Kanekos on the podcast joining us for the second time. He is a three-time Microsoft MVP award recipient and a leader in the tech community. He is currently the foundational services, he's heading the foundational services and automation team, and he focuses on developing automation tools for Azure AD, Active Directory, SSO, and all things automation. And he doesn't just have a job. As I mentioned earlier, he's a community leader. He leads the Research Triangle PowerShell user group and serves as the director of community engagement for PowerShell.org. So we're very excited to have you as a returning guest. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Happy to have you here. Hey, buddy. It's good to see you. It's been a while. I think we were talking about before we went live how you were one of our first guests, and now you're the first guest of the new year and with me being the solo host. So Nice to yeah, have you. Man. So, so uh, I'm not sure if I could uh, live up to that intro. Sounds sounds like I'm a pretty incredibly imp- and produ- uh, incredible person and productive, but uh, I'm just me. Hey, we're all trying our hardest. And, you know, I think you're a great example of someone who has created some awesome systems and communities over the year. And the beautiful thing about whenever you do that the correct way is that a lot of times it can uh, you, you can fall back and it can kind of stand for itself. Um, and it sounds like you've had a pretty busy year this year, and yeah, so um, a, a pretty busy year for me that probably hasn't shown itself much to the community because it's been a lot of behind the scenes stuff for me. Um, but it's funny about what you just said, as you were saying, uh, building systems. It's so ironic that we talk about that on a PowerShell podcast, which <laughs> is essentially about an automation language. But it is true that I, I find myself. Um, dealing with like my user group and the other things, like the more that I could template, templateize something, it just becomes easier to do the creative process, get rid of all the other stuff. So yeah, I never really thought about it until you said that. But yeah, it's been a very, it's been a very busy year for me, a year of a huge amount of change. And um, I've had a few people reach out to me throughout the year, asking me like, "Hey, is everything okay? I haven't seen you in the community. I haven't seen your blog posts and stuff like that." So. Um, things are fine. I'm doing great. Uh, I had a role change this year and the role change has been a huge amount of work, uh, adjusting to it. So that's kind of where I've, where I've been. And so I feel like I'm getting to a point now where I'm getting back on my feet and looking forward to being 
an active part of the community again. Um, but yeah, it's been busy. It's been a very busy year. I can completely relate to that. Mm. It's been an adjustment year for me as well, kind of transitioning into a new role. I think that you just became a manager. Uh, was this yeah. your first time becoming a manager for this role? Oh, well, so it's my, so I work for Invisalign. The name of the company is actually Align Technology and Invisalign is the product that they make. Uh, but most people know them as Invisalign. And um, I've been with them four years now. So first time as a manager here, I was a manager once before a bunch of years ago, not very good at it. Uh, and so I went back to being an engineer, not, not for any reason, but just went back to what I knew and uh, needed more time to grow and marinate. And so taking a, t a second shot at it and I'm enjoying it, but it's challenging. And I imagine you've been in the community for a while. And I think like anybody who's been in the community a while, you've learned a lot. Um, getting the perspective of different people, different successful teams, seeing how people do things. Um, how has that been informing for you? Has that been helpful for you in your transition? Um, yeah. So uh, what I so let's take a step back and sec. So I now manage a team of three, uh, three uh, engineers and myself. And so we do essentially automation for identity management. So Azure AD, Active Directory, all the stuff you mentioned. And so the idea is that uh, there's a sister team that I'm a part of. They build the infrastructure, and then after they build the infrastructure, we try to automate away the stuff that needs to be handled with the infrastructure. Now, we don't do a lot of like deploy of new servers and stuff like that. It's, it's Azure AD and AD, and so once the infrastructure is in place, it's kind of set. But there's a lot of you know requests for reports and automation and uh, generating weekly emails and things that help people just do stuff. So um, so for me, the community has been a huge help because especially doing the user group, you get to see what other teams are doing. You kind of take away the best of what's going on uh, at those teams and try to implement it for yourself. And so I find myself in a unique position because I've always been a huge community advocate and I do a user group, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I just assume everybody's doing community stuff, but that's not really the case, right? You have team members that are not really in tune with what's going on in the community. So I find myself, even though I'm a quote-unquote manager, I'm still pulling back lots of ideas from the community to bring to my team to say, hey, guys, we should be doing this. This could be an application, could be an automation process, could be a best practice for how a team should work, right? Um, and so community still plays a huge, huge part of my, uh, my day-to-day -day work. Yeah, I can imagine. And I imagine being a community leader sort of lends itself well to be a leader within another team of, of tech people. It's kind of the same thing, just reapplied to a more specific business or, or team. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would say that um, the reason I wanted to talk about the, the manager thing today was is that it's been a very divisive topic for the past year when I talk to friends in the community and they're like, oh, why would you want to be a manager? You know, like, oh, I would never want to do that. That sounds terrible. And I totally understand that. There's definitely parts of my job that are not awesome as a manager, right? That's just growing up and having to take responsibility for things that maybe someone else doesn't want to do. But interestingly enough, when I got started doing the user group, about four years ago, the user group was run by people that are my friends, Phil Bossman, a bunch of others, 
and they're really good at talking about technology, and they're really good about uh, getting people engaged at the meetings. But we had a fundamental weakness in like organizing the group, setting things up, getting speakers, making decisions, and I seem to get, I seem to be pretty good at that. And over the past three or four years, I started to realize I'm like, you know what, I might actually be pretty good at this. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. And that's kind of give me the confidence to do the manager role at work. Nice. Can you share some specific challenges you encountered during your transition from engineer to manager? OMG. Yeah. So sure. Um, so the first was learning how to not be an engineer anymore in the same, in the sense that like, um, I guess I'll talk to every person that's listening that's an engineer. Like, you like to solve problems. I think that's what generally everybody likes to do. Build stuff and solve problems, and right? And so I still love to do that. And I still continue to do that. But the reality is that at work, there are issues that need to get resolved in a certain amount of time, right? Issues that have severities or SLAs. And so I see tickets that come in, and I'm like, I would love to work on that. But the past year has taught me that I just know that I probably won't have enough time to dedicate to that issue. And there's someone better on my team that can do that. And it's hard to say, maybe I'm not the best person for that task anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't write code and I don't solve issues. It's just realizing, hey, there's someone else that might be able to do it better, quicker, faster than me based on what I have to do. So that, that's, that for sure has been the hardest thing. I would say the other thing that's really tough for me is um, stepping out of the day-to-day -day stuff and starting to look at the bigger picture. Where's my team going? What should we be focused on? Where's our weaknesses? And then I'll just add on to that as a little side tangent is now that I'm a manager, I own everything that the team had. And so that means I also own all the legacy crap that came with it. So I have to figure out the ways to fix whatever we just didn't do in the past. And so my focus is completely different, right? Even though I really want to say, oh, let's figure out a way to automate that thing. I may need to be worried about like, maybe we need to build up our documentation set for the stuff we have, you know? And so that's definitely a change. Yeah. You mentioned taking a back seat as a builder and becoming more of a mentor and more of a big picture view. How has that shift impacted your relationship with your team? Um, that's a really good question. So my team is not local. So uh, my team has some inherent challenges because I have one. I have an in, I have an intern with me. I'm in I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I have another engineer in Poland, another engineer in Spain, and then I have another one in another location. So um, just the team dynamic, figuring out how to work together, right, in a global org and time changes, that was the first part. But um, I definitely have to find a way to motivate the team to do things um, and not step in too much and be like, hey, man, I think this is the best way we should do it. I know better than you do. Because, you know, obviously I don't always know it's the best, but sometimes you feel like you do. And so, um, yeah, it's, there's work involved with maintaining that dynamic and those, those conversations. Um, and I don't know that I have a good 
answer as how to do that. Um, we just spend a lot of time talking. And the thing that I kind of put forward with my team, the one thing that my team does that I really like is we set up a, a biweekly meeting. We call it a, a team tech review. And it's only for us. And it's just a chance for us to kind of do what you did in the intro of the podcast. Hey, I saw two blog posts that are really interesting. And so it's a way for our team to share information with each other about something that we think could be helpful. Um, but no formal presentation, no slides, just jump in and do some code. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then build a sort of like little dialogue and get those people to comment on what we do. And then they present and we comment on them. And it just becomes an, an open conversation. So you're dealing with people in different countries. Do you all have the same working hours? Or are you also having to juggling like you only work two hours with someone and then there's four hours with the other person? No, and it's not a perfect situation because there's in my workday, let's just say if my workday is nine to five, from one to five, I have nobody in my team on call, uh, working hours. So for the last four hours of the day, I'm technically the only engineer um, if problems come up. And that that's a struggle for me because there's days where I'm like, I'm doing manager stuff, and then an issue comes up. And so... Um, and so I have to time shift my day to spend some time with them. But I've also been lucky that some of my guys have been willing to time shift their day. And so they get to spend a little later time in the day uh, with, the, with the U.S. folks. So it's a bad adjustments. It sounds like a bit of a juggling act. I, I feel like there's no way to get it exactly perfect. You got to just keep trying your hardest, find out what works. And maybe it won't work forever, but you know, kind of figure out the strategies. I mean, if I sat down and I put it on paper, I would say, let me have all U.S. people in my time zone, all working the same time, all really good at what they do. But that's not reality, right? You have different skill sets, different time zones, different responsibilities. And I guess the thing that I've kind of learned is the manager is the person that figures out a way to make that work. And that's kind of fun and interesting, even though I'm sure there's someone going, oh my God, I want nothing to do with that. I'm so glad I'm not a manager. That's okay. But um, there comes a point in your career, at least for me, I've, I've been doing IT for 20 plus years and really 15 plus as a sysadmin, whatever you want to call that role. And I've built and fixed a lot of stuff. And you know, at some point, maybe you want new challenges or whatever. And just for me, the next logical step was taking more of a leadership role. I like that. That's, I like the aspect of being a manager where you can kind of support your team and see their growth. I really love seeing people grow and develop and become happier. And I feel like as a manager, you have some agency with that. Obviously, you, you like you mentioned SLAs and things like that, but I really like the hands-on, the kind of personal sort of community vibes of being a manager. Yeah, well, so um, the un, the unsung hero is my manager, mm. right? So my manager, when I was an engineer... He would keep challenging me to take on leadership stuff and he would let me figure it out and I would get it wrong and he wouldn't step in and just fix it. He would say like, what do you think we should do? And then maybe we would talk about it afterwards, but he built that environment that let me kind of think of how to do things. Right. And so that got to a point where he told me at, a, at least at a line at a visa line, Mike, you're at the point you can either go like expert engineer path or you can go the management track. And he said, you know, you've done a lot of stuff. If you want to be an expert engineer, that's completely fine. 
but you do have leadership qualities. And if you're an expert engineer, I'm expecting you to be the best of the best at a technology. And if the technology changes, I expect you to be putting the time in to switching to a new technology. And if that's not what you're into, then I think you'd be really good as a manager also, right? So it took me a little time to figure out what I wanted to do, but uh, you know, I'm not 25 years old anymore. I don't know that I want to chase that forever. So manager feels right for me. Well, that's awesome. Sounds like a turbulent year, but you've kind of landed in a place that you can settle down into. Yeah, but you know, um, it's not always perfect, right? So I just want to get that message across to people. There is a lot of days I come into work and I just want to be an engineer and I just want to do a task and I want to be left alone. That's never going to go away. All right? That's what I've done. That's We all solve problems. But um, there's things that I do as a manager that are more rewarding than I could ever have as an engineer. And, and so there's enough pluses to make the minuses worthwhile. That's awesome. What's the biggest benefit you've experienced in making calls on what your team should focus on and kind of setting the direction for the future for your team? Um, well, so, you know, you see a lot of stuff that happens in the community or you meet a lot of people in the community and you see how they're doing stuff and you go, oh, I wish we could do that. And so the thing I really uh, probably enjoy the most right now is the best and the worst thing about being a manager is you get to make the call on what to do. And so you kind of need to be comfortable with that. But I have always felt like as an engineer, even when I was sort of the lead engineer, uh, we should do this. Oh, we don't have time for that. Or we should focus on this. Yeah, that's great. But, and now, like, if I feel that it's important enough to do, I decide. I decide what which direction the team goes in. And obviously, there's initiatives in the company that we have to address. And there's always things like that. But if there's things that I feel are important enough to do, I can say, we're going to do that. You know, and my manager is like, okay, if you think we need to do that, then here's, here's the chance. Do it. This conversation and kind of having to juggle priorities and decide what to work on sort of reminds me of whenever I talk to the Microsoft PMs on whatever product where mm -hmm. they kind of have to decide and you can't make everyone happy all the time. There are limited resources and it kind of sounds like you're getting your own experience of that where you know, there are big issues yeah. to fix. There are small issues to fix. You got to choose where you dedicate your resources in your engineering team. Well, so yeah. And uh, it's interesting because I sympathize with those teams because those teams are building products for millions of people, right? And so the quality that needs to come out and every, look, if you ask me right now what I think of the graph API and the, and the PowerShell modules for graph, I'm going to tell you that I hate them, right? They're tough to work with and whatever. But what I think is so easy to fix when you actually think about it is a big challenge. And so I understand it, but, um, I, it's funny that you bring this up because I didn't know that you were going to talk about this. This is a conversation that I've had with my team a lot. And so especially, so people should know sitting adjacent to me in the area at work where I sit is the network team, the server ops team, the uh, UCC team that does Teams and SharePoint, the Exchange team, you know, all those stuff, plus client services, um, SCCM deployments, Intune, all that stuff. And all those teams can write code and all those teams can automate stuff. And so I keep telling my team, what is it that we do? 
why do those teams need us? And so that's like the foundation of what we do. The answer to that question is like, yeah, we write code, but I want to build a team where hopefully we can write code better, quicker, faster than they can do on their own so that they can now use us as a service. Hey, I need this team to produce this for us. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it faster than we can. And the quality of the code that they're going to produce is better than we probably can do on our own because everybody can hack together a script, right? Um, but we want to build tools. So the the reason I mention all this is there's a big quality focus I'm trying to push the team towards. Like, all right, you wrote a script and you automated something, but is it reusable? Is there help? Is there documentation? Does it work and plug into our other tools and stuff like that? And that's a big part of the challenge that I'm dealing with is trying to figure out how to get the team to all operate at a like consistent quality level. So that's a lot. It's a big transition. Yeah. So, um, you know, like think about it, Andrew, like you go and you write a script, right? And people come to you and they ask you to solve stuff and you write a script and you write a script. But if you have a manager and there's two other guys on a team or two other people and they don't write to the level of you do, let's just say, I, I can't just, divert every issue that I think only Andrew can do to you somehow have to scale up those other engineers so that they can perform at the same level. Or what if Joe or Mary writes a script, but it's not even on the level of quality or consistency that Andrew wrote. And like, how do we normalize all that? And so there's so much more work involved there that I ever thought there was. And that's a big focus for us. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about sort of building maintainable systems. And the systems include your engineers. You know, you need, you need to make sure you're having tools that are maintainable. You have an infrastructure where there's not just one person that can develop tools and do things like that. There's like an infrastructure where multiple people can contribute. And ultimately, you get a lot more done uh, having that approach. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, engineer to manager transition. So engineer, I'd be like, just get out of the way. Let me fix that problem, you know. Not in not in a mean way, but you know everybody kind of has it. Like, just let me do it, and I'll fix it. Come back in four hours, it'll be done. But now I'm like, all right, great, you fix that. But like, I can't have it that only you can fix that. How do the others do what you just did? How do we figure that out? So maintainable systems. But then I also deal with this a lot. Hey, engineer, that's some pretty interesting code that you wrote there. Yeah, I'm going to do that X times, and I'm like. Maybe we don't want to build that particular set of code in every script that we're at. Maybe you want to move that out to a function. We can call that, put it in a module. Why do I need to do that? And then you have this whole conversation about workload and how much you can be able to do as we grow and scale. And so there's a big mentoring education thing that comes in for people who have never worked in a team. Mm. Right. And so we're building a lot of maintainable systems and I'm not even going to say that we're doing that great because it's a learning experience and I am figuring it out as I go, but there's a lot of time spent trying to get the engineers to think about the work that they do. That's just not individual work. And how does it plug into the team? Hey, you want to go on vacation? Do you want to get called on vacation? Someone else has to be able to support that code you just wrote. Does anybody know how to do that? And so there's a lot of weird stuff that comes up. I never expected. Yeah, documentation is a big one there too to make sure if you move on to a new job that your stuff is understandable and people know what to do with it. Um, but but if I could just comment for a second, like about seven, eight years ago, I was getting burned out. 
And I was like, maybe I don't want to be an admin anymore. Maybe I'm getting tired of IT. And I had always thought about having like a secondary career or changing focus and maybe being like an IT trainer. But I quickly realized I'm like, I do not want to be chasing certs like 11 months of the year. It's just not what I'm good at. But now that I'm in this manager role, when you put all the business of the management stuff aside, there's a lot of mentorship. Right. And so I get to spend time with an engineer and say, like, let's figure out how to make this better. And so there's a huge reward that comes from that, helping someone get better at what they do and seeing them be successful, maybe even more successful than you could have been. Right. And so I really enjoy that part of the manager stuff a lot. Yeah. That's one thing that really appeals to me. It's like, I like being able to write code and solve things myself. And that's great, but it's a lot more impactful if you can bring other people up to a level equal to or greater than where you were and then they can contribute more than you could and you do that a few times and all of a sudden the work that you could get done by yourself is completely trumped by all the support and all the kind of mentorship that you've put forward and really seems like your role in the community and mentorship and all that has really kind of paved you for a successful transition yeah in a way that i would have never have expected or like i never saw any of this coming I just said, let me participate in the community. It's fun to talk about this stuff. I just want to keep learning. And, you know, the the dirty secret of my user group is, is most of the people that I would book would be something that I would want to learn. It was interesting to me. And if it was interesting to me, I figured it was interesting to others. I was really educating myself, right? And so take all that knowledge, three, four years, put it all together. And now all of a sudden you have all this knowledge to share with someone else and you just don't realize it until someone sort of points that out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, So you mentioned the community playing a big role. And one thing that I like to talk about is like finding a source of authority or some way to know that the thoughts you have in your head aren't just your thoughts, right? Maybe it's some form of Mm -hmm. accepted best practice in the community. Do you have any examples of how you brought ideas or perspectives from the community and applied them to work? Um, I think most of the tools that my team uses that makes our team successful and stand out are community tools. So right now, um, so two years ago, I implemented um, Mark Demansky's tool called WebGeo, which is a, um, a, a web interface for scripts, right, automation. And so we outgrew that. But when we implemented that, people were like, wow, this is amazing. How did you do this? And I'm like, oh, I just used an open source tool, but we've since moved on and now I'm using um, PowerShell Universal and we just keep pushing that tool into new areas and things we never thought we would do with it. Um, And along the way, the team has had to learn how to use that tool. And so there's a lot of opportunities to bring in aspects from the community and tools that we've used, uh, modules and code examples and best practices in order to make this tool work really well. Yeah, I think that there are so many wins that you can get from being involved in the community, but one of the easiest ways to show value is you find one tool that you're able to implement into work. And there's so many tools that people who use PowerShell every day don't know about that can solve so many of their problems with minimal work. And I imagine running the user group, you see that all the time. Well, so, I'm pretty, pretty outspoken. I'm try to be pretty sociable. And I know that's not always 
the same with all IT folks. I know some people are very introverted and reserved, and I totally get that. But I'm feely, I feel very comfortable speaking out. And at work, I'm always trying to push people to come and attend our user group. And I know that that can be annoying and people are maybe put off by it. But I, I feel like there's something that happens when you come and sit with a community of peers that are doing similar tasks. Like you just you just learn from each other just from seeing how they operate. Not even, not even like you said, here's a tool I've never used. I mean, there's definitely that. I, listen, my whole team has never used uh, import Excel module. I'm like, what? How did you do your work? You know? So there's like all these really easy wins like that. But then there's team members that I've gotten to come and they're like, I'm not sure why I'm here. And then after four or five times of coming, they're like, I don't know how to explain it. You you go to the meeting and then someone says something and I never thought of doing that. And now I tried to do that and it made me see that I can do things that I wasn't aware was possible. So there's so many opportunities for people to learn from each other if they just take the time to spend a little time together. Um, but it's hard to get people to understand that and take a chance if they've never done it. Yeah. But hey, shout out to everyone listening to this and getting involved in the community and learning new things and taking stuff back with them to work to make their lives easier and add some more value and get some more PowerShell wins underneath their belt. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't consider myself to be like super automator or some amazing guy. I mean, when you do a user group or like you probably experience this with the podcast, you meet so many people. I feel like there's so many people that do things better than I do and you learn from them. Right. And so it kind of, it kind of sets your expectation of where you are in the pecking order of things. And so I never really thought that I'm doing amazing stuff, but, um, you realize just spending time with these people and doing things together, you just learn and absorb. And it, there's so much of what my user group has done and talked about that has made it into work that if I never got started with the community and the user group and doing all this stuff, I, I can't really imagine how it would have been successful or what I'm doing. It's just such an integral part of what I've accomplished that I, I don't know that how I could do it without it. And I really don't know how people are successful without participating in the community. So kudos to them that figured it out, but it's just such a big piece of what I do. I can't imagine not having it. Yeah. And you don't have to go through it alone. I think yeah. a lot of times when you become advanced, uh, I think there's some listeners that are probably the most advanced kind of technical person at their work, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you can be exposed to people who are far surpassed you in technical skill and you can get some more insights, it can be really uh, eye-opening. Yeah. And I 100% agree. If you're willing to put yourself out there a little bit, maybe expose yourself and realize, you know, let people see that you don't know how to do everything. Uh, I, you know, that's the tough part. Cause I think it's hard to let that happen at work. People don't want to make it seem like they're not an expert at what they do. Right. It's hard to say that at work. And then you go to this community stuff and you have to realize that maybe I not the best at everything, but once you get comfortable with that, and, and at least with our community, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of other communities, but the PowerShell community, I mean, like I've never met a person who's not willing to help someone else in our community, which is amazing. But because of that, you learn stuff that I'm not sure you could pick up in a book, you know, I mean, and so it, I'm going on and on here. I'm sorry, but I really hope the people that are listening to this continue to 
participate in the community and, uh, and, you know, share the knowledge. Yep. And be okay. Not being the all being all knowing all everything. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to not know. And in fact, for me and a lot of the people I talk to that I look up to, it's the sign of a great engineer you want to work with when they don't have to always be perfect. You can get a lot more done that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there is such a cool feeling when I come into work and I see there was an issue and someone fixed it and it's not like, it's awesome to be the guy or the girl that people count on you, but it's also a huge burden when you're trying to do something and now there's a problem and you're like, I don't have time for this. And when someone else can do that and you come into work and you're like, Oh, that's so awesome. I can't believe he got that fixed. That's great. And you just move on. You're like, Sometimes it's just, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. But also it's like, it's cool to see others be successful. Definitely. Definitely. It's kind of a way to pay it forward. You know, as we see success, see it in others and get that whole happy journey going. Um, Before we wrap, I wanted to talk about the RTPSUG, the Research Triangle PowerShell User Group. I I think that most people listening have probably heard of it. But for those who haven't, what is the RTPSUG? RTP SUG is a user group that we run in North Carolina. However, uh, you know, Phil and I have been th- thinking about for the last two years, like, does the name RTP SUG, which is Research Triangle PowerShell User Group, represent us anymore? Because we, before the pandemic started, uh, so we get together twice a month. We get together on the first and the third Wednesday of the month. You can find us at rtpsug.com or on Meetup. If you look for the PowerShell or RTP SUG, you can find us. Um, and so, Every meeting we have a remote option. So if you're not local to the area, you don't, you know, you can still participate. And I would say that the truth is we have much more representation from outside the local area than in the local area. We do meet in person. We've been meeting in person again for about a year now. It's been a struggle to get the in-person attendance up. I think people just like to do the remote stuff, but we enjoy getting together in the room. But um I mean, I've been so blessed. We have so many people from around the world that come and hang out with us, great speakers. But put the speakers aside, we've met so many people, and the conversation always goes the same way. I probably don't have anything to share. Well, what do you work on? I'm doing blah, 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 blah. And you're like, that sounds really cool. Can you talk about that? A lot of people don't realize what they have to share. Um, And so bringing that out and giving people an avenue to share has always been fun. And so Phil and I have been doing it a long time. Phil's been doing it longer than me, but uh, we record all our sessions. They're on YouTube. We got over 150 sessions recorded, probably even more, probably closer to 200. And um, Phil and I are looking to take the group in a little bit of a different direction now. Um, We started doing something new this year, which unfortunately doesn't always present itself well but it makes for a great learning opportunity. And what I'm talking about is we've we've started this new idea. Uh, Phil and I feel very passionate about giving people an opportunity to learn something. And so, you know, Andrew, we could have you come as a speaker and you say, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk about exchange. And here's how you work with exchange. And you do a presentation, 30 minutes, some slides, some code, and you put a nice button on the end of it. And people go, wow, that was great. But it's a lot of watching. And people don't always take away everything from it, this, you know, especially advanced stuff. Um, and so we wanted to get a way for people to do. 
So we built, we came up with this idea called PowerShell Skill Builders. And what we do is we say, this is a problem I deal with at work. Uh, I do this all the time. Here's how I do it. But the finish isn't figured out. We just talk about the problem and here's how I would kind of do it. But we give a scenario and a lab that people can work on and we say, how did you do this? Did you do this different than me? How did you figure out how to make that report? How did you do that query? How'd you parse the data? And the answers aren't always the same, right? And so we all learn from each other trying to like, oh, I didn't consider doing it that way. Your way is more efficient down the road than my way. And so it's fun, but it's a little hard because we never know where the finished product is going to end up. So it's not this perfect demo, but it's fun. No, I like that because you kind of mentioned earlier that a lot of things we learn from the community are not just the end product takeaways. It's how people approach problems, how they approach communication, how they go about writing a script. I mean, there's a lot of people who have never gone through and solved some of this more complicated stuff and to see how someone approaches it can be very insightful because, you know, like you said, everyone approaches it a different way. Maybe you take a couple tips from one person and apply it to your workflow, take a couple tips from another person, and all of a sudden you're kind of armed with a bunch of tools uh, at your disposal to solve problems at work because they're all different. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm blessed in the sense that I have a lot of well-known people in the community come to our group. And I know not every group gets that. And so we're appreciative of that, but we try to use that to advantage. So Stephen Judd comes and Stephen Judd is just an encyclopedia of code knowledge and really good. And And so Stephen is very comfortable coming and watching someone and saying, hey, why did you do that this way? Did you think about doing it this way? And so it takes us in these directions that we'd never considered. And, and so we, we really love the idea that it's this open-ended sort of demo and we don't know where it's going to end up. And sometimes they crash and burn and they're ugly. And that's a little hard to deal with when you're the presenter because you're like, oh, I didn't do a good job. But it's constructive. And it's just a really interesting experience. And so we've been doing that for about two months now. We're going to do that until it gets a little bit old, and then we'll we'll do some other stuff. But it's been kind of fun. And so we invite people to come and join us uh, and share your knowledge. And uh, our group is always about the community itself. And so if anybody ever has the desire to want to share their knowledge or speak, we always make an opportunity for you, regardless of skill level. Phil and I can help you craft a presentation or help you get started. And if you're like super excellent speaker and you, you know, this is an everyday thing for you and you, you need an avenue to share your knowledge, you know, just reach out. We're always open. Your user group, it definitely has that community focus and PowerShell podcast approved. Definitely check out that user group. Uh, check out the YouTube channel. Links are in the show notes. You can get some great content there. Check out their PowerShell skill builder on Active Directory. Um, some great stuff there. Now, I have some very challenging questions for you, Mr. Kanekos. Uh, uh, not, I hope I you're well know. prepared. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. Well, sure. we'll find out either way, right? <laughs> what is sure. one time something went wrong on the job and how did you handle it? And what did you end up learning? Uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't listened to the podcast in a couple of weeks. I go through these binges. And I know that you guys have been doing these questions. And I'm like, I don't know what I would say if they asked me that. And so I don't know what I would say. but. Um, this is what I will say. I, my experiences is that you get better at what you do. You make less mistakes. The mistakes you make are bigger and more painful. 
and I'm pretty good at making big, painful mistakes. Um, I have definitely broke a lot of stuff over the years. I've taken down important stuff. Um, I've found that bar none, I mean, I just, you just admit to your mistakes and things kind of work out, right? Um, and what have I broke? What haven't I broke? <laughs> Relatable. Yeah. And what I haven't think- I broke? To your point, you know, it, it helps working in a team that has kind of blameless postmortems. Shout out to our last episode with Chrissy where we sort of talked about this. But definitely owning up and trying to learn from every single mistake and, and doing what you can, whether that be systemic, like within your environment to put in some extra checks to make sure that the same mistake doesn't happen again. Whatever it is, just keep moving forward. Accept yeah. that mistakes happen. Every single guest we've talked to has plenty of large mistakes that they've made. Uh, listen, I have probably rolled out two or 300 DCs in my career, you know, doing migrations and upgrades and stuff like that. And um, no matter what Microsoft says, you know, we, we replace DCs and use the same name and, and you figure out how to make that work. And there's a process to do that. And you miss a step and all of a sudden an entire office or a region can't authenticate. And you're like, Oh my God. And you feel like the biggest idiot in the world. But I find that if you're honest, people don't seem to mind too much, but that also starts by you setting the expectations before you start the process, right? There's a reason for outage windows or notifying teams that, you know, things might be a little bit weird or staying up late and doing it off hours so that when you make a mistake, it's not like we took the company out of business for the last three hours. Yeah. And, and being honest is so important and having integrity. Like if you have things at work, you're not supposed to talk about, don't talk about them. You know, if you always conduct yourself in a safe way, you don't have much to worry about um, barring some. But I have definitely come home from work and told my wife, like, I cannot believe I took down X for the entire company today. Oh, my God. I think the biggest idiot in the world. And she's like, oh, my God. I, first of all, I should say, I don't even know what you're talking about, but that sounds terrible. And I'm like, well, luckily, my manager saved me, or so, you know, something like that. With your knowledge now, what one tip would you give your younger self when first starting in IT? Um, ask for help. Um, I So I find myself to be a little bit of a perfectionist. I really want things to go well, and I don't want to show things until they go well. And so I find myself like stuck on an issue. And the most frustrating thing I've ever dealt with is like when you finally get the courage up to ask someone for help, and they look at it, and they're like, oh, you got an extra semicolon there. And I'm like, oh my God, that I'm so embarrassed. Like I spent nine hours working on this issue and they figured it out in three minutes, but it's humbling. And I realize I should have asked for help much sooner in the process. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm very resistant to ask for help and sort of expose my weaknesses. No, I think that's such a common thing, especially in this type of field where it's like, oh, smart people, oh, techie, oh, code. Um, it can be very easy to to fall into that. But the best way to learn is to ask for help. And if you can approach things with that growth mindset early on, you're going to be so much farther off. And I feel like we see that in the community. When there are people who are newer and who get involved and who ask the questions, you can just see their knowledge and contributions skyrocket. And then there are others like myself that are more hesitant for a couple of years and kind of wait till I have the confidence or experience underneath my belt to do things. And you know, you end up hampering yourself. Fortunately, I eventually came around, um, but yeah, definitely ask for help and, and learn. Do you have Do you have time for a quick, like, two minute story? Yeah, two minutes. Right. Let's go. All right. So, 
I'm about to date myself so bad right now. But, you know, I, um, I got the most experience in my career, the fastest, working for an integrator. I worked a long time ago. I worked in the New York area working for a, an integrator that built networks for small legal firms. These were companies that were like 50 people and less, and so they had no IT staff. So we did everything from servicing Why Can't I Print to building exchange servers, firewalls, backup, you know, replication, the whole nine yards. And so we spent um, three months in support and three months on projects, and you switch back and forth. And so when I was in support, I got called to go to an office to troubleshoot why someone's Palm Pilot wouldn't sync with the Windows NT box, right? So yes, I know this is old. But I went there and I spent two hours trying to fix this thing, right? Because I was like afraid to go and say, I don't know what to do. And the woman came in and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I think I got to fix. And she's like, do you know what your company charges me an hour for you to be here? I could have just bought a new device. Just tell me you're not sure how to fix it and we'll figure out what to do. And I was like, it was like the most eye-opening experience for me because I just figured IT guy work forever to solve the problem. And I never realized there's a limit to what's practical, right? And so I've kind of always remembered that ancient experience from 20 years ago as to like, there's a time when you have to say when. Uh, I don't know what to do. Ask for help. That's a good insight, especially as a manager. Sometimes the solution is fixing things. Other times it's throwing money at the problem and fixing it later maybe. Yeah, or there's just a point where it comes time to review and say, like, what are we doing with this? What, you know, is it worth working on this anymore? But um, I was just so focused on, like, I need to fix this. I can solve it no matter what. I'm going to fix it. And she was like, are you being, you're an idiot. And it was, it was really humbling, really humbling. Like that. All right. This one's pretty easy. What are your top three favorite modules? And you can only choose three. Uh, well, so... Um, I won't pick any of the stuff that I wrote. Um, I am in love with the uh, import Excel module. I love that module. Um, I use it every day. Um, I don't know why more people are not on board with secret management. I love that as well. Um, and third module, uh, you know, there's a few modules that, that Doug has produced that I like. I, you know, I demo, right. And I present. And so for me, Doug's got this module called name it. It's oh a, yeah, it's a content generator, right? So it generates random content. And so I've had a number of instances where I was either writing an article or proving a point. I had to generate like 5,000 users. And like, that sounds not hard, but like 5,000 random names and 5,000 random login uh, IDs and stuff. And so his module is really cool for generating random data and not just user data, but like lots of stuff. You can generate addresses and colors and locations and stuff. It's just like a really quick way to generate information uh, when you need just a lot of it. Those are some great modules. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for joining us on the podcast for the second time. Uh, hopefully it won't be another hundred episodes before I get to show my face <laughs> again, but uh, uh, we'll thank you for having me always. And to our listeners, like, comment, subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Or you can listen to us and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We are worldwide. Worldwide listeners. Wow. Top uh, 150 in South Korea occasionally. So shout out to our South Korean listeners. That is if so you have cool. feedback, you can email us, powershell at pdq.com. You can find us on X at PowerShell Pod. I'm Andrew Pla. Check me out on LinkedIn. I think that's where all the cool people are these days. 
Mike, where can people find you on the World Wide Web if they want to keep track of all your doings? Well, you know, um, by the time people hear this, hopefully I will have my website refreshed. But uh, commandline.ninja is my website. Um, I'm just putting a new skin on it and making it feel a little bit more uh, 2024. So yeah, check me out there. Um, as always with the user group online, uh, on on Twitter, although I've, I haven't been on Twitter that much lately. I got to I gotta do that again. Yeah, me neither. I don't do much on it. Uh, I, you know, I, I, separate topic, but I don't really have a place to hang out in the community right now that I feel like is the place. So I got to figure that one out. Yeah, me too. Find me on Twitter and I'll find you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Thank you everyone for listening. Have a great year. Way to kick off the year with a great episode. And until next week, take it easy, everyone. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.